Uh, you know, when you first, uh, the last time you came on, I never got a chance to do a cool intro as far as what I wanted to do. And I always wanted when you came on to be like, Mr. Barker. Um, but that was kind of a Sweeney Todd reference. And not many people, I guess, would get a Sweeney Todd reference. You might. I, t- I, t- I, prob- I probably would, depending on if how recent I'd, I'd read or watched Sweeney Todd. Because I, I think I'm quite sure I, I only have a limited amount, about three months worth of memory in my head. <laughs> So if it's within that three months, I'll get all your references. But apart from that, I'm 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 often quite clueless. So somebody reminds me, and then it all comes back like that. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Now you've told me. <laughs> <laughs> so three months. Okay, I'll check back with you in three months on that. Uh, and I'm sure you've been busy, you know, getting into a promo mode for the bone ships, and you know, getting that all hashed out. Um, so tell us about this book. Um, it's. It's about ships that are made of bone. There's a big clue in the title. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a, hey, at least that you match that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I love I love the sea, and, and I love the literature of the sea, like C.S. Forrester and, and Treasure Island, and and um, Patrick O'Brien, who wrote Master Commander. The, the film is based on his books, um, and I just love the sea itself. And and I knew when I was writing the Assassin books that the next thing I wanted to do was was ships. Uh, and I started off with the idea of how, how would you have these big, big like Napoleonic ships of the line um, in a world with no wood, and that, that was how I ended up at Dragonbone ships. Though kaiju is probably more, more, more true to the books, but but dragons is. So these people are basically floating around on the carcasses. Yeah, they they take the bones and, and they like turn them into planks or the big the rib bones. They they sort of use those along the length of their ships to create they have like a smooth hull. Um, and then above the hull, they're, they're sort of quite spiky and uh, and covered in hooks, and they're quite vicious looking things. Um, but but they they work the bones. They don't just bits that they can use. They they use whole um, bits that they can't. They turn into planks, and there's a whole sort of culture of people that that is their job but of course they've had these things it's all and they're all the ships they have are all they have now and they're they're kind of constantly stealing each other's ships and the ships are getting smaller because they have less of the raw material and then the the plot of the, there's two plots of the book really um the first plot is about joron twiner who's our i'm not sure hero is the right word um he, he's a, a mess when we meet him and He's the captain of the ship, though in the ship they're called Shipwives. It's a matriarchal society. Um, and it's the idea that they're kind of, yeah, they're kind of married to the ship. And um, he's very bad at being, in fact, he's hiding from the ship when we meet him because he said, but um, this woman called Lucky Mayas comes and she takes hand off him and then makes him her second in command. And oh, nice. Part of the story is him finding his own self-worth as him and the ship and the crew come together underneath underneath this woman who, who's very good at what she does um and and your opinion of her changes because he he doesn't like her at all at first so you see that version of her and, and as you go through the book you, and his idea of her changes it, she changes and you kind of see more behind the facade of this this very hard commander and the the other plot is the dragons or they're called arachesians in the book or the shortened keesians by the the sailors um turns up and of course everybody wants it and Joran and Messenger ship are sent 
to get it. And it's a suicide mission because everyone's going to be coming after it. And that's their, their, their one, what's called a black ship, which is basically a death sentence. Where to do the module, hopefully. Come on, because you've done a battle. Um, and, and it's magnificent. And and it's their their sort of journey. And, and to tell you anymore will be spoilery. But it's massive. It's a, a city. It's, it's enormous, is this thing. No, that sounds awesome. Um, And actually, you know, my second novel that won't ever see the light of, of day. It, it's a trunk novel. It was all about pirates. It was, it was a fantasy pirate novel. And he talked about the line. And I think I, in my research of uh, that time period um, the, about the line and what I did was the line was this huge glowing red line to where any ship that crossed the line would be stained forever. They'd have this red ethereal glow uh, across the hull of their ship and that marked them and if and if you were on the wrong side, or even if you weren't on the wrong side, if you had a glowing red stain, you crossed the line and you were going to be blown out of the water. Um, so I love all the nautical and the piratey things. The only thing that is, um, when I talked about it with my editor, Jay Hayes, who was brilliant, um, she wouldn't let me have cannons. No cannons? That, that was the um, Yeah, she, she was just like, oh, that's just a... A bit too far for her. It was too <laughs> making it too modern, and she she was like, "Oh, no cannons." Uh, and there's there's always a bit of me that goes, "I really want cannons," but when I'm told no, I always think, well, "Possibly there's something more interesting to do because because cannons is, is easy." So they they have these big crossbows instead, and that that became really became part of the 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 ship and, and the world. And I'm really glad she she made me go a little bit further. Nice. Yes. yes. Invention is the mother of necessity, as they say. (laughs) And couldn't do canon. So like, okay, I need something. Awesome. (laughs) So to let everyone know uh, real quick before we go any further, uh, this book is from Orbit Books and uh, it's going to be available everywhere. And from what I read, and correct me if this has changed, but September 24th is the release day. Is that still true? Yeah, I think 24th in the US, 26th in the UK, because of strange and bizarre ways publishing works, which we don't, as writers, even try and land. We, We just go, although if you're in Sweden, you can get it already from the English bookshop, because I was there last weekend. And they were oh, that's there. right. So, so How was Sweden? I th- it was amazing. It was just brilliant. I loved it. It was it's a really nice place. They're, they're very expensive. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. But, do do they like Ghost as much as the rest of the world does? I, I think they do. I mean, I didn't really see much of it but the bookshop. And it was all kind of book talk. Um, but that... Right. There is a there is a very metal culture there. There was a lot of like I was wearing a big leather jacket and stuff, and, and people clearly liked that. That was clearly sort of a yeah, yeah, we like that. Did you have anyone rush up to you and say, "Are, are you a metal singer?" <laughs> Ask her your author. No, no, I didn't. Have, I had somebody pass me, and they just they just put their hand up for the high five. Oh, that's like uh, I, I, I I I like what you're about. Yeah. Well, no. Man on the street. I didn't realize they'd gone past me. I was like, oh, I left my companion. <laughs> oh, God, how could I? Oh, no. Yeah. But I'm, <laughs> I'm so used to England, right? It was quite late night. And at late night, if you look a bit weird and you're walking through a town and everybody's drunk and somebody comes towards you, then really you just want to get away 
because it, it might not end well. But in Sweden, it's just not like that. Because yeah. they're yeah, probably coming after you. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like we talked about last time about my purple jacket and how it might not go so yeah. well uh, in certain parts of England. <laughs> it's a beautiful jacket. Well, You're thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm actually wanting to get this nice red leather one I found to buy. I got it. It's like 65 bucks, but it's real lambskin and it just looks awesome. And I'm like, oh, I could wear that and my Dio shirt and like all my occult necklaces with it. And it just look awesome. But, you know, I got to sell more books to (laughs) to be able to afford it, Uh, even though it's not that expensive. Well, no, you said something that interested me. What are you writing? I, I, I was just saying that I'm in the third book at the moment. So that's where I'm in the third Burn Ships book now. Okay, so you finished the second one. That, that's with my editor, and I'm desperately hoping that she takes ages so that I can finish the third one. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that weird? When you first start out, you're like, oh, can they hurry up and say yes? Can they hurry up so we can get the book out? And now I'm in the same boat. Um, Robots Don't Cry is out on submission. I'm uh, finishing The Call of the Void, trying hard to anyway. Um, But I'm also being contracted for a book three of a certain series. And it's not officially public news, so I'm not going to say which one. But, you know, people know what I'm talking about. So I've got to turn that in by August. So yeah, I'm like, take your time, everybody. Yeah, it's 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 quite, and, and I like I like to get. I find that once you sort of slip into it, then then you're off, and then then you get back. You yes. Get back edits, and, and then you get back copy edits, and then you get back proofs, and you have to read it. And in a way, it's good because it, it refreshes your brain with the world, which is nice, and you get back into it. But in a way, it's bad because I I go back to what I was writing and, and just have no idea what I was doing. I always imagine in my books that halfway through everything just completely changes. Right. And I came back to it after a big break, and, and I just decided to write a different story. But apparently, that's not what happens. But if you ever, if you ever, ever feel that way, that would be why. Sorry, I had to cough, and I muted the mic. <laughs> um. That's awesome. What, well, what else is going on in the world of your writing? Uh, you, you've got the Bone Ship series that you're working on. So the Age of Assassins and that series is done with. Am, am I right? Done, finished. Um, it seems to have done reasonably well. I don't know. I don't ever ask for numbers or anything like that. But um, Orbit were happy. My agent is happy. And, and that's how I judge things. If they're happy, then, then I'm happy. Hey, if they're happy, you're happy. Yeah. I, I've written a thing in a different... Oh, well, I don't want to talk about that, but I, 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 I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, yeah. Someone okay, well, well, I won't, I won't, I'm not that type of interviewer, RJ, you know me. I, I'll, I'll just say there's something secret out there. And now people are wondering, what is the secret? So follow RJ Barker on, online. Yeah, there's something secret that may, yeah, yeah, it may well never see the light day, but there's that. And, I, and I've, oh, I've started like the, the preparation of ideas for the next fancy thing that I want to write but um also I have a I wrote a science fiction novel before I got signed with Age of Assassins that didn't quite sell you but told I me might, about this yeah yeah I think I might go back to it when I finish the Bonship books and just go through it again and see if I can because I love it I think it's full of really interesting ideas but um 
And now I've got a little bit more of it, a tiny bit more of it, and it might be worth some taking a risk on, hopefully. I can imagine that my agent... I tried that. I tried going back to my trunk novels and saying, maybe I could beef these up. And then I get to it and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> it's just, I don't have the energy or the time to fix, you know, baby writer Sean's uh, fuck ups. So <laughs> I just think I'll just make something new. But hey. See, I, think, I think I've got two novels. That, uh, I think my science fiction novel is, is a, it was, it's a good book and it, it very, very nearly sold. And then the editors that liked it moved companies. So it kind of didn't. Uh, my, my agent likes it as a book anyway. And, and I love it. And then there's a novel I wrote before that, that is a fantasy novel that I still think is a good book, but the comments of publishing people that looked at it is it's good, but there is about 10 people who will want to read it. That's enough. That's 10's like, good. Yeah, I might self-publish that one day, just just because I, I enjoy the ideas in it. So. Right. That's the thing that many people yeah. who d are listening probably don't realize about the publishing industry, uh, the traditional publishing industry anyway, is that, you know, you can write a book and you're, you love it and then your agent love it and then an editor that, that your agent has talked to loves it. But when they take it to the acquisitions meeting. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of it's about you, you can write a really good book and it just might not be the time for it. No, it right. Or the market and yada, yada. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, and what, it, what they're looking for might not be your book and, and how good it is. And I think that's kind of what, what's happened with some of the self-published books that have been picked up later on. Right, because yeah, the the readership was there, and they saw that. I know with Orbit and uh, the Rage of Dragons, Evan Winter, um, which I'm not sure if you've read. I, I I I'm very bad at reading fantasy. It's it's not. I've struggled. Oh yeah. really? I, I <laughs> you don't say that. Yeah, I can't switch off the bit of my head that's going. What would I do? Uh, it's not critical. Yeah, so I can never relax into reading fantasy. It's never. It, it's not. The, the joy of it has been stolen from me by writing it. So I tend to read. Yeah. Oh, no, I understand that completely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I find that too. I found that I'm very, very picky now. Yeah. Uh, the more that I write, um, I can't shut off the editing brain or thinking I wouldn't have done that. You know, because I, before <laughs> I was looking for like, oh, this is great. I like how they did this. I'm going to steal this concept. Uh, not the actual plot or anything, but yeah. but the way they did something. I'm not sure. It's and now I can't do that anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure it's even pickiness. I, th I think it's just the whole because your mind is always thinking, right? Where's this going to go? And as a reader, when you're thinking, where's going to go? It's kind of an idle. I wonder where this is going to go. But but when but my first ever, yeah yeah, and then it doesn't go there, and you're like, oh, uh, my my first agent warned me. About he said he said he said writing will will wreck books for you to some degree because you, you're and uh, but i can do crime and you know and i can do science fiction and, and i read a lot of history as well which is just yeah non-fiction i've been getting into more non-fiction i have to have periods of non-fiction to where just my mind goes especially when i'm editing actually when i'm editing hmm. i can't read anything <laughs> because my mind has a, so much and like reading uh energy i guess and also on top of that the editing i can't read on my kindle anymore either because i send my final version of a book before it goes to my editor to my kindle to read ah uh, yeah me too so as soon as i pick up my kindle now i'm straight i mean that 
that mode of okay let, let's take this apart even though I'm, I'm quite slack about taking things apart i talk like i, I do proper work and i don't really just <laughs> i don't either <laughs> i don't know what the hell i do people ask me so what's your writing process i have like a candid like you know uh pinned answer that i go oh well you know this is what i do but i also add the caveat that it's not always like that every day this is that's the dream that's the 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 aspiration to do but normally it looks like a big fucking I, mess i literally said that that's, that's what i do i don't i don't plan i have a rough i have an idea of where i'm going i know, right. that. I know where it must end but how i'm going to get there is, is a constant mystery to me i don't I don't, don't until yeah it's, and uh, but that's what makes it I exciting an example for king of assassins when i wrote that it's a, a thing i'm keeping it non-spoilery for some of your readers that have inexplicably not not read the wounded kingdom books i can't imagine why they wouldn't have done but um, maybe one of them hasn't i don't think yeah, that's I, possible I, but yeah um, <laughs> I, I wrote thing when i was writing king of assassins i knew where it had to end I just, the end of gun and Meredith's stories i knew where that was going but i did not know anything else about this book when I started it. And I was like, oh, it's a bit scary. And I wrote a thing in it that went against all the rules I'd set up in the previous two books. And that little sensible bit in your head just went, right, just delete that sentence and carry on. But the other bit of me, the bit that, that's excited about writing, just went, that's going to cause so much trouble. Let's see what happens. And, and it became the linchpin that the novel sort of moves around. And the entire plot was based on, on me breaking everything I'd already said. Uh, and and that's the joy of writing to me when those things happen. You think, oh, oh, suddenly I've got a plot now where I didn't before. But I am in awe of those, those writers that, that um, plan everything out. And, and I watch them right. see that. Like, Melissa Caruso does it a lot. And she has like spreadsheets and post-its and she can tell you, no. She can tell you her character's arc and she can say, oh, I need to change this bit of the arc to make it work. And it clearly works really well because the books are loved. But I can't do that. I'd just sit and cry. Oh, I can't do that. No. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think think if if that's your thing, there's a lot of joy in it. But um, if if Jenny were to turn around to me and says, oh, right, can you do this to this character's arc? I'm just going to look blankly at her and go, hopefully. Yeah, it feels that felt too much like yeah. work. <laughs> well, I'm getting to know them. <laughs> We're still dating right now. <laughs> now, let me ask you has, has Lindy, um, your wife, has she read all of your books? She's read none of my books. None of them? None of them. She has no interest at all in them. It's not, not her. Well, that makes me feel a little better. Yeah. Because <laughs> my wife, um, she, she read uh, Daughters uh, when we were dating before it was even uh, picked up by Angry Robot. And she liked it. And she actually told me, she's like, well, oh, you know, when you told me you're a writer, I was like, oh, great. I mean, he's going to ask me to read his stuff and it's going to be horrible. And then she read it and she's like, this is really good. I said, well, thank you. That's <laughs> so she read. She once read a short story that I wrote when we first met. That'd be about fifteen years ago. Um, and and she said that maybe there was something wrong with me. 
<laughs> really grim. And, um, but she, she she likes she liked um Regency romance and she likes books that end in a wedding and have a happy ending. And that that's that is not what I That's do. not an RJ Barker book, no. No, no mine are kind of suffused with melancholy, I think is a good good way of putting it. That it, it, there's a lot of hope there and people are gonna do the right thing. Cause I I don't think I'm a grim dark writer. But but you can get the feeling that people aren't going to get a happy ending either. It's not that that sort, not that sort of right. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're going to get a satisfying ending, but yeah. that's not necessarily a happy yeah, ending. Hopefully. I mean, a lot of people who've read the Age of Assassins and then gone to Blood of Assassins and then King of Assassins have said that the ending is immensely satisfying because it ties everything up and 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 because I knew from the start where it was going to. That that was re- there's all the clues are in there. And the stuff like when you finish the three, if you go back and read the first one, you'll find it tells you stuff, that, and you're like, oh, oh, that that happened, and and it's all all built into it. And I've done the same sort of thing with with the burn ships books because I have a good idea of where I'm heading. That if you read them again, you'd find there are clues as to what's going to happen in the first one. Right, but like you said, you you probably didn't realize that as deeply until you went back and re- reread the the first two. Well, no, I, I, there's there's a, there's quite a lot of stuff that's because I know it's, it's, I know that the this oh god pretentious words, but I know the the meta story. I, I knew from when I wrote the first assassin book what Gerton and Merrill's emotional story was between them, and I knew how they would end. So I, I could put in stuff in the first book to that. And I wrote them so quickly that by the time I was editing the first book, I'd finished the third one. So you were already in there. You were, you were, you were, the momentum yeah. was already built. Yeah, that helps yeah, a I lot. Add, yeah, I could add stuff in that was going to happen in the third book and in the first one. And go, oh, look, you'll find these little things. See, I'm, I'm sitting quite... here hoping that someday, like, I get a three-book deal like that. You know, that's, that's one of the dreams. Mm-hmm. But at the same time... <laughs> I kind of lean more towards standalones, um, you know. I can now. My head is in kind of trilogy land. Somehow, is that a place? Have you ever been there? Is it like Disneyland? Yeah, yeah, full of full of Disney World. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, trilogy land's a place. Yeah, (laughs) I'm still visiting. I know it's going to happen in the third Smoke Eaters book. Um, because th- when they bought the first one, they asked me for synopses for at least two more. And I'm not the type of person to write a six book series. No, <laughs> thank you. No. Um, I, so I, and I was like, oh, I hate writing synopses. No, I don't no. want to do this. You know, a little, uh, tantrum throwing three-year-old writer inside you, but I did it obviously. And I s- have stuck to <laughs> the synopses that I sent in. For the most part. Um, so I, I know it's going to happen in the third one. I have no idea what to call it. I have ideas, but they all sound like rubbish to me. Um, because I, I want to do something with fire or flame, but I don't want it to sound stupid. Like I was going to say flame tamers, but I was like, no, that sounds ridiculous and horrible. 
uh, or fire killers or fire slayers. Firefighters. Just call it firefighters. Yeah. <laughs> that would yeah. make sense, I guess. But then you'd get people who pick it up and be like, this is not a history of firefighters. This is all about dragons and ghosts and robots. Um, yeah. It would confuse them. <laughs> but it would sell very well. There may be a shit ton of returns. I tell you, working in a bookstore has has totally changed my perspective yeah. of publishing and, and books and like the way people, you know, gravitate towards certain stuff. Because even within science fiction and fantasy, because, you know, you know me, RJ, I, I'm going to sell my own books if I can, <laughs> if I'm right there. And, you know, they're in the science fiction fantasy section and I try to do it in a, you know, non- pressury way but just hey can i suggest a book to you oh yeah sure you know and then i say these books right here and i hand them to them because that's what barnes noble likes you to do is hand the book over to them um and i tell them about the book and i said and i'm kind of biased because and then i turn to the back cover and show them my picture and usually that's the whoa moment um but a lot of times i get these like old guys in there they're like no I just want to read Robert Jordan. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> Wheel of Time is right over there. <laughs> so, that, I'm, I'm always, you know, in all the fiction I read, I'm all, though having said that, I have just finished um, a book called Tombland by C.J. Sansom, who, who's, if you come up, I don't, I don't know whether they're out in the U.S. or not. Um, first one's called Dissolution, and they're, they're about a hunchback lawyer in Henry VIII's um, time. And they're just, oh wow! They're, they're astounding books. They're just beautiful humanity. And I'm about to say I don't tend. I'm always looking for new things. I don't tend to read in series. And I realize that's a massive lie because I've just read all of the those. And then last year, when I was writing the um the final assassin book, um, King of Assassins, um, all I read was Robert B. Parker's Spencer books, and there's like forty five of them, and I just. And they're all more or less the same. They're detective books. Um, Spencer for Hire. It what? sounds familiar, yeah. TV. I know I've heard uh, of Robert B. Parker, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah all the books are, are more or less the same plot. And, and that was what I read because it, it could switch my head off and just, just, I like these, I like these people. So possibly I am one of those people that comes into the bookshop and goes, no, I want this, just a different genre. Right. Who was it that they, that Publishers Weekly compared you to in that review? Patrick O'Brien. That's right, Patrick O'Brien. And so yeah. to that, that you you absolutely love that. I do. I mean, Patrick O'Brien is um, an astounding author. He is, if you read about ships, he's the man to read about ships. His books are, are beautiful and, and clever and... I'm not of that level. He understands how to look, and I don't. Um, I just write books that make you feel like I might do, but it, it's a lie. Um, but he right. <laughs> does the thing that I'm, I'm a big fan of in books, in that he drops you into sort of the world of 17th century sailing ships and explains nothing. You, you just, the first three chapters of his book, I had no idea what was going on, barely understood it. Um, and then suddenly it clicks. And you're in this world completely, uh, and it all makes sense. You you might not know completely. They might talk about a thing, and you know roughly where on the ship they're talking about, but that's all you really need to know. 
and and it's just a friendship between two men and that, that it's beautiful and funny and it's not unfair to describe them as 298 pages of nothing happening and then two pages of battle but you just don't care they're just I mean I can only say read one and persevere with it and then, then you'll find something very joyous yeah oh, oh yeah that sounds awesome that sounds like good writing if you can be absorbed and yeah, because I don't like when, when writers uh, talk down to readers. I also don't like when writers talk way above their heads. So it sounds like with Patrick O'Brien, it's just it's just right there to where if you just stick with it, uh, you, you'll become absorbed with it. Um, that's the kind of, it's a fair comment that's come back about the Burnships book that, that you need to stick with it and then it rewards you for, for sticking with it. Because it, it kind of it builds. Yeah, you know, some books have a little learning curve yeah. to it. Absolutely. And it's like with mine. It's like, you know, if you can get past the gore and the explosions, mm -hmm. you know, there's something really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of fire and an action because you've got eaters, kickers. Right. Punchers. Fire punchers. Beaters. Fire beaters. No. Fire beaters. Fire smashers. Fire beaters is, is a. Thing though, isn't it? That's an actual. Don't they? It sounds like yeah. it's a thing. It's probably a thing that I maybe they have it. Yeah. Don't want to maybe it could be confuse people about. Yeah. It should be a thing. Fire beaters. I'll come up with something. Actually, the the when I saw there's a movie I went and saw called uh, The Kid Who Would Be King, which is mm -hmm. fantastic if you haven't watched it. Um, it's it's the Arthurian oh. legend and kind of bringing it into the modern day. Yeah. And yeah, it was done by um, uh, what's his face? Um, he did attack the block, I think. Oh, he attacked the block. Yeah, yeah. I keep him to see that and watch it with my little boy because I think he's and I love King Arthur. Oh, I took my boys to it. They loved it. They absolutely mm. loved it, and it had a really good message to it as well. Um. But in conjunction with that, and also when I was in Fire Academy, they talked about how firefighters are the modern day knights. So I thought, why don't I call it modern knights? I was like, well, but it's in the future. So why not future knights? Yeah. But then the characters don't know it's the future. It's the present for them. And then this is where my mind goes. <laughs> it starts, I've never had difficulties with titles ever. And people have complimented me on my titles. But usually it's because it just pops in my head and I know that's it. With this, I have no clue. Can you do fire nights? Fire nights? Yeah. Sure. That's if I hey RJ, if I go with fire nights, you're going in the acknowledgments and getting a signed copy. I think it's fifteen percent, Sean. Fifteen percent of all. I tried to wiggle out of that. I'm a tough negotiator. Uh, you'll have to talk to John Gerald about about that. Maybe y'all can share. But John is lovely. I forgot. I forgot your agents, John. Yeah, I recently yeah. signed uh, with them back in February. Yeah. That must be quite exciting because he's like one of the agents. He was he was Ian Banks' agent. Oh yes. Well, we'd been friends for a while just on yeah. Facebook, and you know he'd be like he'd like some of my posts, and I like some of his posts. And then when it came up when I was wanting to uh, change agents, um, the notion just popped in my head. It was like, oh hey, I know John Gerald, and I just sent him a Facebook message. I'd be like, hey, 
And uh, he's like, absolutely. Send send me uh, the, it was Robots Don't Cry that I had. And that's another thing, people out there. If you ever switch agents, it's always good to have a manuscript yeah. ready that has not been sold anywhere. That makes life so much easier on the agent and you and everybody else. Yeah. Which I don't know. RJ, have you ever had to switch agents? Yeah, yeah, I am. I was originally with an agent um, called Rob Dinsdale, who's a very good agent. Um, if you're looking for an agent, he's brilliant. He's he's um, a really good developmental agent, and uh, um, that he will take a manuscript and publish it with you into something amazing. Um, uh, and for various boring reasons, he had to slim down his list. And we, we went through with the science fiction novel with him and it didn't sell. And he was gutted. I don't think like that. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do something new then. Because I already had like 13 years of failure behind it. And you and you would not work in isn't, isn't a big thing. That's, that's part of writing. Stuff doesn't work. You carry on. Um, and I'd been asked to to maybe think of writing a serial killer on a space station novel about the time of the, the mansion. And I think that's what publishers were looking for. And a couple of editors had said, we think... RJ would be a good fit for that. So I'd started it. And then I had the um, idea for Age of Assassins. And I, I said to Rob, I'm going to write this book. Um, and he wrote back and said, if you're going to write a first-person fantasy murder mystery, it'll have to be really good to sell. And I heard write a really good book. Don't write that book. Um, <laughs> so we, we kind of... <laughs> We kind of part, but it was all very amicable, and he helped me find another agent. And um, he did read Age of Assassins and came back to me and he said, "Look, I, um, I think this is really good, um, and I'm kind of sad I, I won't be representing you." Yeah. And then I kind of gave him a list of people. Yeah, he, he's he's lovely and he's really good agent, and a fantastic editor, and he's also an excellent writer in his own right as well. He, he, his books are, are amazing. Um, but I gave him this list of different agents. That I was thinking something to him. He said, "Yeah, yeah, that, they're all good." And then he just sort of said, "You should add Ed Wilson of Johnson and Alcock on the list because I think you'd get along." And Ed's uh, Twitter handle is Literary Hall. Yes, I love it. <laughs> but I would never have thought of applying to him because in my head I just think, "Well, that's not my thing," and that's clearly his thing. And, <laughs> and it completely isn't his thing. It's all he he likes he likes big explodey things. Um, so I, I did, and he was. The first agent to come back to me, I think he was back in touch within a week. Um, I just instantly got into, got on with him, and I thought, yeah, you're, you're the, the one for me. And he is, he, we get on really well. And he, he loves the books that I do. He's really enthusiastic. Yeah, but I really want to go to New Zealand. I'm trying to think, because this is my last year of eligibility That's for the uh, Best New Writer Award, um, now newly named the Astounding yeah. Award. And... Yeah, uh, based on the Astounding Magazine. And I'm trying to ride the line of letting people know, hey, I am eligible. I do exist uh, versus cramming it down their throats and eyeballs on the Internet. So it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'd like to be nominated. I don't care if I win. It's just a good excuse to tell my wife, hey, I'm nominated. We got to go to New Zealand, babe. That's all it is. It's just a travel ploy. It's a, it's a really weird thing towards because I was up for a few with with um, Age of Assassins, and um, it, yeah, it had been the Gamel uh, wasn't it one yeah, of them. I was up for the I, was, I stole Nicholas Eames. 
Gamma Award for quite a while. It lived in my house. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> he, he, um, yeah. It, it's really that. my award. And I'm sure Nick will agree if you ask him. He'll, he'll say, yeah, and he'll admit that actually he stole it off me by winning it, which was quite mean of him. Um, <laughs> Yeah, how dare, how dare you? How dare you, um, man? That's but, messed uh, up. Uh, Nick? Award's really difficult. And Nazia, my Orbit's publicist, who's, who's fitting and terrifying, um, made me go to all the award ceremonies, and I really didn't want to. I don't, I don't enjoy it at all. I find the idea of judging art very strange. Though, if I won something, yeah, if I won something, you would have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands at the same time, which is... I agree, I agree. <laughs> I kind of have that same dichotomy, yeah. RJ, because um, granted, like I like attention <laughs> and that's something I'm going to my therapist about. Um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, yeah, I don't like the judgment of art because it's like, you know, some people love a certain thing and other people love another thing. And just because there's more of them on one side than the other does, does not make the other one less. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, because my, my wife's an artist, uh, and we talk about this a lot, but there's, she also likes maths. Mm -hmm. And the reason she likes maths is maths has an answer. Uh, Always has an answer, at yeah. The end of it. Yeah, and you know if it's right or wrong. Where, where art, when you're writing a book or, or drawing something. There is no solution. That. There's no answer. No. And, and it's, it's really weird. It's just who it is. It's, it's, it's really strange and and frustrating like the same the same weird thing is that i write told i'm incredibly selfish i write told i write things that interest me and i'm not really interested in, in anything else which is bad but that that's what i do and, and i don't really care what people think and i never have done but i do want everybody to i want everybody that, to love that's it a good at the same yeah. time it's <laughs> yes, that's a, <laughs> you just totally called. Yes, hey, RJ, I knew we were good friends. I knew we had the same kind of belief systems and stuff. Yeah. But you, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. Exactly. Like, because, no, right, maybe. have I told you what I'm writing now? I'm sure you've heard about it. Yes. Um, yes. The, the Call of the sure. Void is its name. Is this? Yeah. yeah. This is, the, you've done the, the bike. It's not that. The bike. Biker lady, space biker. Oh, da daughters of forgotten light. Yeah, daughters uh, yeah. Yeah. came out in September of 2018. I'm actually turning daughters into a comic book right now. Because in my head, for some reason, I'd seen you talk about Call of Void. In my head, I thought that was like a sequel to Daughters of Forgotten Light. But that, oh, the Call of the Void? No, no, yeah, it's completely yeah. separate. Um, it it uh, the Call of the Void is a, a, a western on a different planet. And um, it, it, it's all about it's a revenge fantasy, and it's got a lot of weird. It's it's science fantasy. It's got a very Ursula K. Le Guin yeah. vibe to it, as well as like Italian westerns and that Quentin Tarantino style of that as well, um, or Sam Peckinpah for that matter. But um, it has a car that eats people. <laughs> That, who I have not introduced yet. Classic, classic so it's kind of one of those, like, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I totally got the idea for this from a shroom mm. trip. Um, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> uh, I, I was like, 
I'm going to start writing. And like, I had my little alpha smart Neo, which does not connect to my new laptop. So that sucks. I can't use my Neo anymore. But I remember sitting there <laughs> tripping my balls off and just started typing this, this letter from this one character to another. And I, I didn't want it to be completely epistolary, but I wanted like the, the letters uh, or diary entries to be kind of like uh, what the end caps to parts of the book and stuff. And then this just whole world just kind of un- unwrapped in me. And I'm actually discovering what I'm writing is a lot of stuff that I've dealt with internally that I never really addressed. So it's, it's, if people want to really get into the psyche of Sean Grigsby, read the call of the void when it comes out, but some people won't get it. Have you seen the stuff about using, have you seen the stuff about using psychedelics? Oh yeah. All the time. I've, I've done uh, LSD. I've done shrooms. I prefer shrooms. Um, Using it to treat people with depression. Oh, absolutely. And it works. It's wonderful. Uh, My wife uh, who suffers from it, among other things, uh, went to a ketamine clinic and ketamine is uh, another psychedelic. Um, but this was just in a clinical horse tranquilizers. Yeah. <laughs> or, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, that's what it is. That's what ketamine is for. It's, it's a horse tranquilizer. Oh, that's right. I forgot totally like, about that. That was yeah, that's in the UK so, always getting burgled. People stealing ketamine from them. I didn't know what yeah. those poor horses. So they're not like, they're not like going to sleep. They're having well, like suspect it as a the craziest trip of horse. their lives. Um, because it, it's meant for them, not us. Um, That's I'm, true. I'm checking this on my phone. Um, their physiology and their sure. brain structure, yeah. Yeah, ketamine is a horse tranquilizer. That, that, that's its as far as me. Yeah. So if you, you've no kidding. ketamine and you, you feel particularly thirsty afterwards. Yeah. So I, I, I've, I've never been I haven't that. myself, no. It, it's all, all of it. <laughs> it's not kind of the my thing and i've got a kid as well so I, it, it would be can't really, yeah right I can't be tripping this off oh you have to be very yeah just, just, absolutely yeah yeah yes okay. no 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 uh environment setting make sure all your responsibilities are taken care of yeah uh don't be reckless um but they are legalizing uh uh, psilocybin uh, cubenzies in uh, Oregon, Denver, and I think there's one more state, maybe in California soon. Who knows? Um, anyway, I'm not trying to be Hunter S. Thompson and <laughs> promote drug use for writing, um, but just that's just what happened to me. I, I think I, I think that really. Oh, Portugal did. Yeah. Drugs. Yeah, and I, and I think so much better way of going is to make them less attractive because that's uh, for a lot of people uh, who would be irresponsible it's the taboo of it Mm -hmm. it's like oh they say this i'm not supposed to do that and yes that oh you know the government's not gonna like this you know daddy's not gonna like this yeah and you're not gonna stop people taking it It, no no so might as well just let them do it and uh let the cards fall where they may you know, last time we talked about chaos magic, and now we're talking about psychedelics. Uh, yeah. so- <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> You're the only one of the only authors coming on here that I can go. I can venture down that road with and know that like I won't make you feel uncomfortable and vice versa. Yeah, so, yeah I, I'm, it's I'm a compliment. I've, I've done a lot of them. Um, I hesitate to use the words astral projection because that's not what I think it is. But I've done a lot of that. A mind journey, inner, inner. Yeah, it's yeah. very much inner, and that that's quite a weird and psychedelic experience to to go through. And, and I'm not not really sure I learned anything from it, but it's fun, and that that's the reason for doing. Right. Doing. Sometimes I think I'm just completely shallow. And if you like, you hear other people like they go on a deep trip and learn something about themselves, and I I do the same thing. I just learn nothing. I'm just like, well, that was fun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, yes, I do that too. Where people are like, oh, I learned so much about myself. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that, that, I just I laughed and had a good time. I mean, <laughs> I, I wish I could do this ego death you speak of. It's just fun. My, my wife did a, did a long time ago. And she saw an alien walking through town. <laughs> But that, that was that was later on when she was completely straight. She was walking through town. She saw an alien. Oh, like she wasn't even up. No, at, no, she wasn't. Before. That's we, wow. Was, uh, completely freaked her out. I'm terrifying. I mean, I don't subscribe to this, but some people think like uh, magic mushrooms, for example. Op- I mean, it does obviously open up connections mm. uh, through the brain, and uh, but. I guess some people, it's kind of like yeah. uh, they live the John C- Carpenter movie, yeah. where it's like now she has the, she's taken the glass or put the glasses well, on, and now you, she can see them. If you read <laughs> the, like, folklore and stuff, and, and you read the the folklore of fairies, is basically the same as the folklore of, of aliens. Because you aliens come and they they take you away and they do things to you, and absolutely and exactly the same thing. So. You, Something either in the back of our head or going on somewhere is is causing this this to happen within us, and we see this, these things. Because have, have you ever had a sleep paralysis? You know that a lot. Yes, absolutely. And this was back when um, I, I was uh, I, I still had Christianity and the whole Judeo-Christian uh, thing. Uh, that I hadn't yet purged from myself. So yeah, I remember waking up and feeling a present and this has happened more than once to me. Um, I waking up in the, and feeling a presence, you know, in the dark. And I forget if I saw like a dark shadow or anything like how uh, the dude from black Sabbath got the idea for uh, that one song. <laughs> but, um, and I remember just like praying or whatever until it subsided. But then I learned about sleep paralysis. I was like, oh, it's just your mind fucking with you. Yeah, it's genuinely terrible. <laughs> it's one of the things that, because I'm quite poorly, is that I know my health is suffering because I'll start having sleep paralysis. And, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. When it's happening, you know what it is. It's still terrifying. It's really, we're, we're such terrible Yes. Things, really. Like, yeah, because you're, you, you're because you're like, well, I know I'm yeah. seeing this. Like, I, I can't tell myself that this is just an imagined, you know, sensory. You know, I'm just still waking up kind of thing. Um, but people talk about like when they do DMT, 
and I, which I've never done, but, but they all describe seeing the same thing. And one of them is the gestures. Have, have you, have you heard about this at all? No, no. It's uh, Joe Rogan's talked about it and other people who've uh, talked about DMT. Um, the spirit molecule is what they say. DMT mm-hmm. is basically what floods your system at the point of death. And people have uh, figured out how to extract it and, and and partake now. Let's see. And, you know, and there's like a tunnel of light. And that's where the whole like um, near-death experience all describe the tunnel of light and things like that and seeing people. And there's these gestures and they're like these polygraph, not polygraph, but like uh, – patterns and these gestures that just like make fun of you and they're just laughing at you i guess that's kind of supposed to be like an ego death to where you're like well i'm not that great at all after all you know look at all these spiritual gestures and that too i think all of this though and the occult especially and i had a conversation on uh online with peter mclean about this it's all internal it's It's very individual psychology it's all about figuring your own shit out in your own mind i really don't think there's like demons and devils and stuff yeah. out there you know i mean i wear the sigil of lucifer uh, uh, as a necklace but i don't believe like there's an actual entity called lucifer you know or anything like that it's all mind constructs and 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 things yeah, like that i don't like right. people telling me what to do yeah but it, it can no no alistair crowley type shit no, no. if so he wouldn't have had such a shit life <laughs> i've been such a terrible human being um but um it, it, it's all about focus and sort of like I'm, I'm going to do this thing that will help me be me and get hopefully it. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't sort of yeah yeah. That that's a good, it is very internal and uh, and I'm not a practi- practitioner in any way, which I know you and and Pete as well are, because um, because that involves being told what to do by somebody to some degree I, I will have that but um yeah but i've got like all, all the books i've got peter carroll's psychonaut and and stuff like that and i've got a brilliant william blake book i got from christmas was it my birthday one of those one of, one of those gift, gift oh yeah which one is it um i can't move because i've got my computer and microphone on my lap Okay, well, I'll, <laughs> you can it's send it to me later. The complete, William Blake, the complete illustrated books. It's like big, thick, and it's got everything in it with his pictures and, and, and stuff. Awesome. Yeah. I will check that out. Now, speaking of books, let's uh, remind listeners that uh, R.J. Barker's The Bone Ships releases September 24th in the US, September 26th in the UK, and I believe the rest of the world will will be on the 26th as well, uh, except for Sweden. They already have it at the bookshop, like you said. I think there's quite a few bookshops that already have it, because bookshops tend to get it early, and then... And just say, hey, let's let's put it out there. So check your bookshops. Yeah, and and it's had some lovely... Robin Hobbs said it was brilliant, which is... Oh, that had to be the one of the best days of your life. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it now. I'm never writing again. I'm, I'm finished. <laughs> it's like I can't, I can't top this. Yeah, that, I can't top it. I met Robin at, uh, in Seattle. She's lovely. Isn't she? I met. Yeah. Oh, she's very, very nice. Yeah. Um, as well as uh, Terry Brooks. I'm not met him. And lots of cool people. Uh, it's it's um, it's lovely to meet all these people. Like I met um, 
I met the crime writer Robert Chris, who um, mm-hmm. is kind of a hero of mine, and it's the first time I've been a bit dumbstruck. So, because clearly, as people tell, I like to talk, um, and I just couldn't. Because he wrote a book called L.A. Requiem, and that's my why do I write book? That's what I go back and read, and just oh, I'm have to check that out. L.A. Requiem, seventh book about Elvis Cole and Joe Pico, two detectives, and um, and when I met. And Elvis called his wife's cracking and funny, and Joe Pike is a borderline psychopath. And they solve crime, and they have a very strict set of morals that they do the right thing. And, and I, I got to ask Robert Chris my theory, which is that Elvis Cole is LA during the day, and Joe Pike is LA at night. And Robert Chris went, I absolutely love that theory, but it has never occurred to me even once. <laughs> so, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Because I never do that. If somebody comes up to me and says, I have this theory about your book, I just go, yes, that is exactly what I meant to do. And then I add it right. into the mental list of things that are in my book that, that I absolutely 100% meant to do. Like, um, in, in the, right. we're going to have to stop in a minute, aren't we? But um, I'll just tell you this because I, I love this story. Um, and it shows you what, what magpies and, and liars writers are. Um, when I wrote The Bone Ships, there's a thing in it called the Galeem, who who is a a wizard that can control the wind, which is something very useful for ships driven by wind. Um, and my original idea was to have an actual wizard who could control, or a magician who could control the wind. And the other thing about the world of the bone ships is there's no mammals, it's all birds. And I was telling my friend Matt, we played mm-hmm. badminton once a week, and he's very kind and lets me talk at him about my books. And as we were coming out, he said, I love the idea of this bird wizard. And I just thought, you were not listening correctly to what I said, bird wizard. That that is a stupid idea, uh, and 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 clearly you're not paying attention. And by the time I got home, I'd had the greatest idea ever about these bird wizards um, that you that you will now find in the book. I <laughs> hope I, you put him in the acknowledgments at least. Yeah, he he um he, he's actually my my friend Matt, um, King of Assassins, is dedicated to him because. Because he sort of let me. He's a uh, he was an Arthurian scholar, and there's a lot of Arthurian myth in the Assassin books that very few people noticed. But uh, and he did a lot to help me through those books. Really oh, good. wonderful! But, uh, yeah, he, he might. But yeah, if if you like the Bird Wizard in the Bone Ships, which most people do, you've got Matt to thank for it. Thank so Matt. It just been a bloke. Well, RJ, thank you for coming on Cosmic Dragon a second time. You're always more than welcome to come back. We're going to wrap things up and end the podcast. Um, Love it. Brilliant talking to you as always, Sean. You too.